0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today, on A Transforming Word.
1: The same is true for us as a New Testament body of believers. It's no one person's job. We all participate. Everybody's giving. Everybody's sharing. Everybody's using their gifts. Everybody's offering what they have. We're all a part of, of what God is doing. It's not like the people are just there, you know, you minister to us. We just take and take and take they did need to be ministered to but they also got to participate yeah you guys can't do that part but you can do this part make sure that you're a part of what god is doing in the body of christ they're not just taking taking taking
0: belonging to a body of believers involves a dance of giving and taking if one group of people do all the giving and never receive the balance is off pastor bill shares in today's lesson Each individual must have seasons of sharing and receiving. If you only give, eventually you will become burnt out. If you only receive, you will wear out the generosity of the giver. This applies not just to the church, but individual relationships within the church. What does that look like in your life? Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 16 for today's edition of A Transforming Word.
1: On this most holy day, you would think they would put on their most... I mean, this is like for some churches, Easter Sunday. Oh, man. That, you got to go buy some new clothes for all 20 kids. And, you know, you got to... I mean, I, women got to get a hat and, and some new dress and some new suits and some shoes. Y'all know we don't do that. So you would think on this most holy day that this priest that normally has very ornate clothes, this would be the day where he really turns it up. Not so. On this most holy day... He's got his most simple gear on. What's that about? How come on this day, this is the biggest day of their calendar year, the the most effective work that's been done all year will be done on this day. And he's got on his white linen trousers and he's been girded with a linen sash and a white linen with a linen turban. And these are his holy garments. and He goes in and he's got to wash his body and put them on. Very simple. It wouldn't be about him. Right. He's not the show on this day. Who's the big deal on the Day of Atonement? Right? What's the big deal? What's happening? Right? It's not the priest and what he's doing, it's what God is doing. There's atonement being made for their sins. There'll be these innocent animals. We'll come to them in just a moment. Their blood is being shed for the sins of everybody else. Everybody else's guilt is being put on these animals. Later on, we're going to look at the scapegoat, and we'll, we'll look at that when we get to it. And so, very simple, as he came before the Lord, and, and on that day what he was aware. I'm reminded of this, that Jesus, he left glory. I mean, he was in a very glory. I mean, he was in heaven. He was in glory. And he left all of that to come down to earth to, to die for you. And me. he came down here to live a very simple life. I mean, I, I, when I read the scripture, I, I just, I'm, when I remember that Jesus is God, and I think of all that he didn't take advantage of when he came to earth. I mean, I'm thinking if he's God, he should have the best of everything. I mean, I'm God. You know, I at least want to be comfortable. in My little thir- my 33 years down here on earth, he didn't do that. He had poor parents. He lived in an area where they, they treated him bad. They, they thought his parents had him out of wedlock. And so his parents were ill-spoken of. He grew up with a stigma upon him. Dealt with that. He didn't provide luxuries for himself. Even when you look at all the miracles that Jesus performed, guess how many miracles he did for his own benefit? None. Every miracle was for somebody else. He was hungry himself, but he, he multiplied food to feed somebody else. In Matthew 4, Satan tempted Jesus to, because he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and there was nothing more than he would have wanted than food in his, in his humanity. And Satan said, hey, turn these stones into bread if you're the son of God. And he didn't do it. He said, hey, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But just a chapter later, right in chapter 5, people were hungry. and He multiplied fish and bread and fish for them. So it wasn't that he couldn't do it for himself. That he wouldn't do it for himself, but he would do it for them, right? Every miracle he did was for the benefit of other people, ministering to them, ministering to their need, never, never for himself. It wasn't about him. It was about us. Everything that he endured, everything that he went through. And so look at verse five and six. Now it says, and he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel, two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. We already said it once that he first had to deal with his own sins. I just want to point out in verse 6, it also adds, and for his house. Aaron was dealing with himself and his family. And I just want to point that out to every man, every parent, everybody responsible for some other people under you, if their children would not. He's responsible for himself first, but also for those under his care, for his whole household. That he was he was offering sacrifice my prayer is especially for the men of our fellowship is that we would walk in this that the men of calvary chapel england would really be men in their homes men of god men that pray for their families men that love and minister and their wives men that are examples to their kids and and offer all the things that the bible says we're supposed to offer that we wouldn't be just another group of guys faking it just getting through making babies and wearing out wives But that we be men that are really ministering to our wives that we're functioning as priests that our kids are ministered to because you're there. Your family should be blessed because of you. The people at this time, they were blessed because of what Aaron was doing. Aaron was ministering to them in a way that kept them where they needed to be with the Lord. It was it was a big deal what Aaron was doing and it ministered to them. I pray that every man here that that be the takeaway for your family, that my husband, my dad ministers to us. He prays for us. He prays with us. He washes us with the word. When we don't know what to do, we can go to him and he can get a word from God. He seeks the Lord on our behalf and our weaknesses. He, he strengthens us. I, that's my prayer that we would be there, that. that every man would grow into that, right? Wherever you are now, if you're already a husband, you're already a dad, then you're already in the role. So you want to get good at it That for the rest of your life. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be in a, a role in church. You already have a role from God. God's already given you some people that say that's your flock right there. Wash them, love them, feed them, take care of your family. And so again, Aaron dealt with himself also for his household. He was uh, to minister to his kids and minister to them in that way. In verse 5, he said, and take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for the sin offering and the ram. I just want to point out that the congregation participated in this event as well. Yes, Aaron would offer the sacrifices but they participated in offering up the animals that would be given, right? The congregation, they, they were a part of this thing. It wasn't just going to be Aaron doing it all. They provided the animals. They gave. He, he took it from the congregation. So the same is true for us as a, a New Testament body of believers. It's no one person's job. We all participate. Everybody's giving. Everybody's sharing. Everybody's using their gifts. Everybody's offering what they have. We're all a part of, of what God is doing. It's not like The people are just there, you know, you minister to us. We just take and take and take. They did need to be ministered to, but they also got to participate. Yeah, you guys can't do that part, but you can do this part. Make sure that you're a part of what God is doing in the body of Christ. They are not just taking, taking, taking. And it's also not good to be giving, giving, giving. We want to receive and give. One, Give and take. Some people can receive, they don't ever give back. Some people just want to give, but they can't sit down and receive. And we got to find a balance. I got to be in a place where I can receive. And I can be ministered to. And I can be spoken to. And I can be prayed for. People can share with me. And then I'm in turn. I can go do those things right back. I can minister to you and speak to you and love on you. Uh, we want to do both, right? Anybody know somebody who they love to give, but you, they won't take nothing when they need it? You know, I know people like that. that they, they'll give and just give and give and help people out. And it's a blessing. But then when they have a need, you're like, hey, let me give. No, nope, no, nope, nope. I'm nope. Come on, you need it. Nope, nope. Man, let me buy you. you, you, You're not fasting today. Anybody, nope, nope. They just just won't receive back. Um, We don't want to be like that, right? In the same way it's a blessing to give. When somebody's trying to give to you, that's a blessing for them to give to you. So receive it, give it. Um, But you don't want to just be one way. You don't want to be a habitual recipient that don't ever give back. And uh, you also don't want to be imbalanced where you just only, I'm only willing to give, but I ain't receiving nothing from nobody. As a pastor, right, I can't be in a place where I'm willing to give the word, but I can't receive a word from somebody else Where someone can't come and say, hey, uh, the word says this. You did that and challenge you with the word. You got to be able to receive it. I've had I have my own kids say stuff and they always from your kids, you know, they're wrong. I'm just kidding. Uh, But, you know, you just got to receive it. Doesn't matter the vessel, how little the vessel, how small the vessel. If it's true, you just say, you know what? That's true. Amen. I receives it. Look at verse seven through 10. It says he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But on the goat, on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And we've all probably heard the term scapegoat, right? Maybe you didn't know it came from the bible, now you do. He said, oh, man, that, that, I was at work and, you know, somebody stole some stuff and they, I was there and they blamed it on me. I'm the scapegoat, you know, whatever. You know, this, you take the blame for something that you didn't really do. That, that terminology, this idea comes from right here, Leviticus chapter 16 from the Bible. And it's an interesting little ceremony that would happen. They got two goats. They would cast lots on the goats and one lot, one goat would become the Lord's goat. The other goat would be the scapegoat. The Lord's goat dies. The one that's the Lord's goat, they're going to put their hands on it. And the idea is that there's a transfer that they, they're going to put their hands on his head and confess all their sins uh, on this one. And so you got one goat that's going to die for everybody's sins. You got another goat that's going to get to run free and they send him into some uncharted area, some wilderness area. Let them go. What goat do you want to be? I want to be the scapegoat, <laughs> the escaping goat. I want to be the goat that escapes. Get up out of here. You know, so but the idea comes from right here. One goat's going to die. One goat is going to be spared. And the reason being is this, right? The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. This sin brings death. Sin in my life, sin in your life, sin and sin brings death. And so here, because God is just and God is holy, God says something, something's got to die. There will be bloodshed. Before you're going to be right with me, before this sin's going to be dealt with, something's going to die, this, goat, this goat's going to die. It's gonna, it's the, the sins, are, it's going it's to die, but there's going to be one that goes free. It's, it's an imagery, it's a picture of what Jesus did for us, right? He, he all We sinned, he died. Who goes free in the exchange? We do. Right. Jesus didn't go free, but he was the one that was in, he was in, he was innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. He never sinned a day in his life. He didn't flesh out when the Pharisees did mean things to him. He, he just I mean, 33 years never sinned. Right. He even said himself in John's gospel. I do always those things that please the father. What a testimony. Right? I wish I wish I could say I wish I wish I could testify that truthfully. That I do always those things that please God. I can't. I don't think anybody here can. Because you be lying when you said it? You know, that, that we can't testify, but Jesus did. I always do with the things that the Father wants me to do. N- nonstop, I obey. He died, and then we go free. We're the ones that are wicked, carnal, sinful, breaking commandments, doing stuff we know we're not supposed to be doing, looking over your shoulders, or so you just make sure you don't get caught like God don't see. And we go free, and he dies. That's when we come to the table of communion and remember what he did for us. What he did for some guilty people, what he did for sinners that we could go free. And so here, way back then, God has just given them these pictures and this imagery of what he would do for them. I'll point this out as well, because the sin, again, it had to be dealt with. What if the people of this day would have said, you know what, man, all this animals dying, all this bloodshed, all the goat going free and the goat got to die. I love animals. right? I can't do it. I don't like all this blood and dying animal stuff. I'm out then what are they left with? What's that person left with? They're left in their sin, right? They're left separated from God. They're left outside of fellowship. They're left in a position where they can't come before the Lord. They won't be heard when they pray. They're left separated from God. Well, the same is true today, right? There are people that look at the gospel message and say, you know what? I, I, I don't think all those things are still true. I don't think we have to believe all of that. I don't think that God is going to punish people. There are people that say, no, I don't think a God of love would send people to hell. I don't. You notice all those comments start with "I don't think." I don't think. And what people in our culture have done is conveniently created in their mind a god that accepts them just the way they are, without any repentance or changing. So everybody just creates a god that they're comfortable with. The god that I believe in, he's okay with me being like this. He's okay with me, you know, staying this way and not changing that and not. He's okay with it all. Where'd that god come from? Like, what did you dig him up and pull him out of? Where did he come from? Where did you get him from? That God don't exist, except in your mind. And if you make up a God in your own mind, guess who just became God? You did. Right? I got to take God at his word. God said, look, I'm God. This is how you're going to come before me. I prescribe. I set the terms. If you don't like them, then you just don't get to be with me. But that's bad for you when you die. It's bad for you on earth. It's worse for you when you die. Living this life separated from God is terrible. It's terrible because it's a rough life. Bad things happen, right? When you walk this life without God, you don't know what you're doing. You don't have any wisdom. You don't have any supernatural instruction. When bad things happen, there's no supernatural comfort. There's no real hope, right? You can't really... When bad things happen to someone in this world that doesn't know God apart from God, you don't have hope. Bad is just bad. There's no promise that bad is going to turn around and become good one day. It's just bad. Done. Done. Death is terrible. You should be depressed. There's nothing to look forward to. But for the believer, it's all over here. For the believer, all things are working together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose or even bad things. We got hope that one day it's going to turn around for the good. So right now I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the pile of ashes, but my God brings beauty from the ashes. I, I got a hope that you can have I believe some things, I know some things, and I've access to a God that's just not everybody else doesn't have. And so there's such privilege for us. And even if it's really bleak on earth, right? I know that I'm, heaven's almost here. Someone on their deathbed, dying of some disease, can look beyond this life and say, oh, I'm almost, I'm almost gonna be to the place where, where all this won't matter. I'm gonna be healed, I'm gonna see. I'm going to be delivered of this. I'm going to be, uh, you know, they, they have all that to look forward to. Non-believers don't have that. So if we won't do it God's way, we won't have all the things that God makes available. Here, as we look at what the scapegoat, how they had to deal with the scapegoat and how one died and the other one didn't die. The other one got to go free. In the Psalms, everybody knows about David and his sin. Uh, He sinned against God in a great way. Though he was a great man of God, he sinned against the Lord, sinned with Bathsheba, murdered her husband. And he went almost a whole year before he repented. So in that year that David spent really living in in, in his sin, unseparated from God, when he talked about it, you can look at it on your own. You can write in your notes, Psalm 3110. He said, man, my bones ache within me. Like he was he was having there were physical ramifications for his spiritual condition at that time. But then when he repented, Psalm 51, everything turned around. Everything when he got right with God, everything else got right with him. He was put back into a right place with the Lord. And so we do want to deal with sin God's way. We don't just want to let it linger because it doesn't go away. That year, it was almost a year, maybe like nine, 10 months that David spent in that condition. He was in a bad place with the Lord. Bad things happen as a result of it. So now look at verse 11 through 13. It says, And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. All this is for him and his family. Then he shall take the censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And they shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. I don't think Aaron went to serve lightheartedly. Look at the last word, lest you die. If you don't do this right, Aaron, you're going to die. What was his job now? Now he's got to bring in the incense. And this incense is beaten fine. He's got to take it and he's got to bring it in and he, he's got to offer it up. And the smoke from the, he's got to bring coals from the altar in. He take the sweet incense and he's got to put it down. And the smoke from it is going to cover the mercy seat. And it had to all be just so. And it says, least he die, Right, God says, I want it to be just like that or you'll die. I was trying to think of a New Testament parallel. Is there anything that God said, if you don't worship me just like that, you'll die? We are under a time there. There's a special grace. But as I look at this and I'm like, well, God, why so specific? Why everything just so? Well, a lot of this had to be just so because God was painting pictures. Right. When you look at Leviticus, and you look at some of these pictures that are being painted They're, they're pictures of what Christ will fulfill later on. They're pictures of what Jesus would take care of. He didn't want the picture messed up. So he said, do it just like this. Don't mess with it. Don't don't do your own thing. Don't make up your own way. Do it the way I said. Do it. I'm God. You, you follow me. Um, I believe the same is true for us in that, that God would not have us to come up with our own way. Is God not interested in my new idea, right? God wants me to do it the way he said do it, the way he prescribed. I'm going to come before him the way he said. I don't need to come up with a new style. That's why some of these churches, they are kooky. People just want to do new things. And so you got people running laps. I saw a video this week of a church service that was, I don't know if it could have been any more out of control than it was, but you had guys running down the aisle. One guy ran down the aisle, took off his coat, swung it around and threw it. He, the minister is right here ministering and if the coat hit the minister, I wish I could play it for you guys. Then there's a baptismal right here and a guy literally ran up and he jumping up and down. He jumped in the seat, jumped into the baptismal and got out and every, and they're praising God. They're like, yeah, they're, 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 they're looking like, man, we having service. I mean, the Lord is moving. I look at that and I just see a bunch of men in the flesh. Saying, oh, you're going to run. You ran down out through your jacket. I'm going to one up you. I'm going to jump in the baptismal. Ain't nobody done that before. And it was just the wildest, craziest. And I'm looking and saying, I wonder what they live like Monday. I wonder how holy those lives are. You know, I wonder if I mean, what's the fruit of that? Right. Did God prescribe that? Did God say worship like it? If he did it, I'd say do it. Right. If God said. The way you really show me you love me, you throw your coat at the minister. Y'all can throw your coat at me. You throw a coat at me. <laughs> it's going to be a problem, you know. That, that's not, don't do that, right? That's not, He didn't call us to do that. Y'all not going to be running laps up in here. Run laps at the gym and then come to church later on. But we're not going to be running laps. God didn't prescribe that we do it that way. We don't get to make up the rules because he is God, right? We're his worshipers. We're worshiping him as God. We're saying, God, I trust that your way is the best way. And my way is not. And even though I might want to do something else, you didn't say do it like that. You said do it like this. So I'm going to worry about the condition of my heart when I come before the Lord. That's what you need to worry about more than anything else. More than what you wear, you know, what you present yourself as. I'm not saying come immodestly or dress in a way that wouldn't be fitting. But I do think that the most important thing when we prepare to come before the Lord is the condition of our hearts. Because you can dress up a sinner. You can put some slick alligator shoes and a slick suit on a brother that just slipped out the club or whatever. I mean, God's looking at our hearts, right? God says, I don't see as man sees when they were looking to pick the next king of Israel. And they brought all these people before David. And, you know, Samuel said, is this the one? I mean, surely he's big. He's strong. He looks like the guy. And David, God told Samuel, he said, look, I don't. The Lord doesn't see as men sees. I'm not looking at the outward appearance. I look at hearts, looking at hearts. I'm not worried about your clothes. I'm not worried about if you wear Gators or Nikes, some gums, whatever, you know, like he's looking at our hearts. How is my heart like when I come before the Lord? That's what I want to deal with. That's what pleases God, the heart that we come before him with. And so, again, it may be something that's a challenge for people to, to look at God's all of his rules and all the way that he wants it. But if we're going to worship him for who he is and come before him in the way he wants, this is what he said now. At this point, they're offering the incense. just wanted to point out a few things because I think they're important. Over in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, the incense, what's the incense of heaven? Anybody know? The prayers of the saints. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, the incense of heaven is the prayers of the saints. It's the fragrance, it's the aroma, it's the thing that smells good to God in heaven, our prayers. And so as this was going to be offered up here, just a reminder to us That we ought to be people of prayer. One of the things purchased for us in the death of Jesus is the opportunity to pray. Every believer needs to develop a prayer life. We need to know how to hear from God and, and speak to God in such a way. I mean, I think it's critical that every believer learn this. I think it's even more critical that every man that's leading a family, leading a household, that you be able to get a word from God when you guys are making decisions and they're looking to you to figure out what to do. You need to be able to hear from God. You don't just make your best call. You don't just do the thing that seems best. The Bible says don't lean to your own understanding. So in a time of making decision, my understanding is irrelevant. God don't care. He don't care how I see it, what looks best to me. That seems like the best way to go. God says so you better pray. You better seek me. You better know how to hear no and know how to hear go and know how to hear yes and know how to hear peace and know how to hear lack of peace. Every man needs to know that. But you develop that. As you pray, as you spend time with the Lord, you you, you build that relationship up. And so, um, but God tells his people over and over again that he tells them to pray. If you're writing notes, uh, just a, a few verses that you could write down and you can go back and look at these things later. And I hope they'll encourage all of us to spend more time just with the Lord in prayer. Chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus told the disciples, if you ask anything in my name, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Obviously, these are prayers according to the will of God. These aren't just asking God to give me some snow. Uh, it's not no word of faith stuff, but God is saying, look, ask, ask me. Ask me for anything in my name. According to it just the things that, that you ask in my name, God says, I, I want to give them to you. I want to do these things for you.
0: You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Thanks for tuning in. Leviticus is often a book that gets overlooked and misjudged. Though it seems to be full of meaningless and insignificant rules, nothing can be further from the truth. All of scripture is so important to understanding not only your faith, but also the heart of God. When God created the 10 commandments, they weren't meant to control. They were meant to help guide. God desires for all his children to understand that life in him can be full and rich. And that's all God wants for you too. But he won't force you to live in him or live by his guidance. You get to choose it. What a gift. If you're looking to dive deeper into Leviticus or other scriptures, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the word of God on a daily basis. Look on our website. CalvaryEnglewood.org. Thank you for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus. But before we go, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry financially. Any amount is appreciated. These teachings are broadcast on the radio and help spread the good news of the gospel. That's a powerful thing. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryEnglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything. We hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. We look forward to you joining Pastor Bill again next time, right here on A Transforming Word.